Amen. This week, I went into my bedroom. My wife was asleep. It was evening, and the TV ostensibly was off. And when I walked in the room, it was kind of dark. All of a sudden, and I'm not exaggerating, I heard this voice, and it said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and make your path straight. I thought, am I hearing from God directly? Well, I realized my wife had had some program on in the TV, and it was spitting out verses, but the TV was off. I was hoping it was God's voice, but it wasn't. And really, the verse that that television program quoted, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, basically encourages us to walk in wisdom. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, we're continuing in our verse-by-verse study through the book of James. We find ourselves in chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, and the title is How to Walk in Wisdom. The Bible says that you and I are to walk in wisdom. And if you'll notice verse 13, James starts right away by asking a question. Now, James likes to ask questions. It's good to ask questions because it evokes people to think. Remember in chapter 2, he asked the question, if a person says they have faith but they don't have deeds, can that faith save them? Well, that was a question to get them to think. Now, he asks a question in verse 13, and the question is this, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, why would James ask this question of these Jewish people to whom he is writing? Well, many of the Jews claimed to be wise when in fact they were not. And the reason why they claimed to be wise was because they had the Word of God and they were the people of God. They had been chosen by God. They were Abraham's descendants. And throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the prophets and the apostles would have to confront the Jewish people because even though in one sense they were wise, in another sense they were not because they were not living their faith. In fact, we see an indictment of this in Romans chapter 2. The apostle Paul says this about the Jewish people. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, that's what the Jewish people did, if you know His will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, the Jewish people thought that they were a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark. He says an instructor of the foolish. You see, they thought they were wise. They instructed the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? He indicts them because they claim to be wise. They claim to be the people of God. They had the law of God. And he says, wait a minute. I know you claim this wisdom, but in the end, are you really wise? Because you who teach others, are you really teaching yourself? Now, when James says, who is wise and understanding among you, what does James mean by the word wise? What does it mean to walk in wisdom? Well, the word wisdom in the Bible is used in two different ways. The first way we would call a secular usage, and this would be someone who is skilled at a trade or a craft. For example, in the Bible, we see different areas where people would be skilled at a trade or a craft. There is the issue of spinning, tailoring, engraving or embroidering, goldsmithing, solving riddles, soothsaying, 
as well as the ability to work as a military strategist or statesman, an architect, or a sailor. And so the first way that wisdom is used in a secular sense is someone who is skilled at basically a craft or a trade. Today we would understand this, for example, a surgeon. A surgeon goes to medical school, they get all this knowledge, but they're not really skilled until they're able to practice what they have learned. And the more cadavers and the more people they operate on, if that's their area of specialty, they become more wiser. Why? Because they are skilled in that craft or that trade. Or take, for example, athletics today. We understand Michael Jordan, how he's probably one of the best basketball players to ever play. Uh, He was skilled at his craft, or take Tom Brady, he was skilled as a quarterback. And so, in a secular way, wisdom in the Bible refers to someone who is skilled at a trade or a craft. But there is a spiritual definition of wisdom, and that is this. It means to be skilled at godly living. It means to be skilled at godly living. In other words, a person who is wise not only has biblical knowledge, but they're able to take that knowledge and they have understanding. They know how to apply it to the everyday issues of life. And so we would say someone who is wise is skilled at applying the Word of God to their work, to their marriage, to their family, to their relationships, their finances, their sexual ethics, their health, and their tongue. We would say a wise Christian is someone who makes wise decisions. They take the Word of God and they apply it to everyday life. Now, as we look at the book of James here and other portions of Scripture, there are seven ways that we want to look at this morning by which you and I can walk in wisdom. And by the way, if you read the book of Proverbs, the Proverbs divides people into three categories. You have a wise person... You have basically a person who is simple-minded. That would be a person who's naive. In fact, the Hebrew word means they have an open mind. They let things come in and out. They're naive. And then you have a third person in the Proverbs. It's a foolish person, a fool. And so you got a wise person. You have a naive person, a simple-minded person, and then you have the fool. Now, what James is going to do here and other portions of Scripture is going to give us seven ways by which you and I can walk in wisdom. And listen, there's a lot of people in the church today that have a lot of Bible knowledge, but they don't have a lot of wisdom. The first way that you and I can walk in wisdom is we need to become Christians, or we need to get saved, as we would say in the evangelical church. If you're going to be wise, it starts with having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice what 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 says about being saved and it being attached to the wisdom of God. He says, but to those whom God has called, those whom God has drawn to salvation, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so knowing Christ is obtaining the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, Paul says this, It is because of Him, that is God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. If you want to be wise, you got to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. In fact, to reject Christ, the Bible brands you a fool. Paul says it great in Colossians chapter 2 when he says the following, 
My goal, speaking to the Colossians, is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, watch this, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To know Christ is to walk in wisdom. And listen, that means you don't just know about Christ. It means you repent of your sins and you place your personal trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the Bible says that you will be born again. Now, there are a lot of people in our culture that when you present this to them, they scoff at it or they respond with passive indifference. They're not really interested in it. They may believe in it, but they really are not interested in trusting in Christ. The Bible says to reject Jesus Christ and salvation is basically to be a fool. And not everyone's going to respond to the wisdom of God in Christ in salvation. There are people that are going to reject it. In fact, I get on Fox News on a regular basis and I read articles for sermon illustrations, but one of the things that I do on Fox News is I evangelize. And what I've done over the years is I'll read articles, especially as they relate to death. This person died this person died. And so what I do is I have this standard uh, thing that I post. I'll go down to the comments section and I'll basically say this, death is not the end. Jesus said there is life after death and he offers eternal life to those who believe in him. And then I'll put under there Romans 10, 9, very brief. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, I get all kinds of reactions. Some of them are scoffing. Some of them are like, hey, tell me more. That's very rare. Most of them are scoffing. But I'll tell you what, some of these people I've had conversations with that will span over a day or two. And so I've planted seeds, and I engage in a lot of apologetics. But a lot of them will scoff at me. And here is what several of them said to me this week as I engaged in dialogue with them. One person said this, quote, it's sad you have drunk the snake oil. One person said, it's cool Bronze Age wisdom you are giving. In other words, sarcastically, it's Bronze Age wisdom. One person said, your fear is palpable, your remedy is ridiculous. One person said, you are oblivious to reality. See, when you present the wisdom of God in Christ and the gospel message, not everybody's going to embrace it. But listen, it's not my responsibility to save people. The Bible says my responsibility is to pray for people, to sow the seed of the gospel, and let God work in their life. There's a second way that you and I can walk in wisdom, and that is this. We must pursue wisdom. We must pursue wisdom. It needs to be the number one priority in our life. Notice Proverbs chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. It says this, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. In other words, if you want to be a wise person, you got to get wisdom. He says, though it cost all you have, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. What the writer of Proverbs is saying is that wisdom needs to be the number one priority in your life. You need to pursue wisdom. It needs to be the center and circumference of your life. To put it in New Testament terminology, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what it means to pursue wisdom. And listen, a lot of Christians in the American church pursue knowledge 
But the question is, are we pursuing wisdom? Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Knowledge is important because you can't apply what you don't know, but knowledge in and of itself doesn't make me a wise person. It's whether or not I'm pursuing wisdom, and pursuing wisdom means I'm applying the Word of God to my life. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians get distracted by the things of the world. Rather than making the pursuit of wisdom their number one priority, they're pursuing their children more. They're pursuing their wealth more. They're pursuing their careers more. Nothing wrong with those, but those things are not to be the number one pursuits in our life. Now, you may ask the question, well, Mike, if I pursue wisdom as a number one priority, where do I find this wisdom? What is the source of it? Where do I get it? There are four sources of wisdom if you're going to pursue it. First of all, the Word of God. The Word of God is a source of wisdom. Psalm 119 says this, Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers. Why? For I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. If you and I are going to pursue wisdom as a number one priority, the first place it's found is in the Word of God. That's why Colossians 3.16 says this, let the Word of Christ dwell within you richly. And you're either being conformed by the wisdom of God found in the Word of God, and if not, you're going to be conformed to the world. There is no neutrality. If you're not allowing the Bible to renew your thinking, you will be shaped by the wisdom of the world. And so if you want to pursue wisdom as a number one priority, you've got to be in the Word of God on a regular basis, meditating on the Word of God, not just for information, but application. There's a second source of wisdom if we're to pursue it, and that is life experience or age. Life experience or age. Notice what Job chapter 12 verse 12 says. Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? Now the assumption here is that you and I, as we live our life, the older we get, we experience more of the experiences of life. In other words, we learn from success, we learn from failure, we learn from other people, we learn from our observation. And so, if you want to get wisdom, the Bible says, live life. But listen, you and I know that there are people that are older and they're no wiser. Because listen, just because you age, it's not an automatic thing that you're going to get wisdom. You have to learn from the mistakes and the sins and the failures and the successes of life, and you have to apply it. And so don't assume that age always equates with wisdom, but as a general principle, the older you get, the more wiser you become. In fact, I've often said to myself, I wish I could take what I know now and apply it when I was in high school. I would have been a better student. I would have been a better athlete. I would have been better in my relationships. Why? Because as you're older, you learn some things. There's a third way that you and I get wisdom as we pursue it, and that is the correction of other people. The correction of other people. Proverbs 15 verse 31 says this, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. In other words, if you're going to pursue wisdom, one of the ways you get it is from the correction of other people. Now, this is hard because we all don't like to be corrected. We all struggle with that. Our egos get in the way. But if you want to be wise, listen to the correction of your spouse or your children or your friends or your coworkers. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody corrects you that they're right. And it doesn't mean that you're always going to agree with all correction. Sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they have ulterior motives. But 
if you and I want to get wise and we want to grow in our wisdom, we got to be willing to listen to the correction of other people as they approach us. Well, there's one final way that you and I can get wisdom as we pursue it as a number one priority, and that is this, other people's advice. Other people's advice. Proverbs 19.20 says this, listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end, you will be counted among the wise. The Bible says in Proverbs, there is wisdom in many counselors. In other words, seek out people's advice. Now, obviously, you want to seek out godly advice, but you and I will gain wisdom as we talk to other people. Why? Because they have other perspectives that maybe we don't see. Over the years, I've grown to appreciate my wife's wisdom. You know, when you're first married, you kind of do what you want to do. But I've learned that when my wife cautions me or my wife says, you need to be careful with that, she is 99% right. And so I need to listen to the advice of other people. And so the second way that you and I can walk in wisdom is we got to pursue wisdom. we got to make it the number one priority. And where do we get this wisdom from if we're going to pursue it? We get it from the Word of God. We get it from experience or age, the correction of others, and also other people's advice. And so you want to walk in wisdom, become a Christian, pursue wisdom. Thirdly, fear God. Fear God. Notice, if you will, Proverbs 19.10. The writer says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you want to walk in wisdom, the Bible says you need to fear God. Now, what kind of fear is this? This is not a cowering fear, but rather this is a reverence towards God. We need to revere God. There needs to be a healthy fear. I've had some friends that have had Dads that obviously no one's perfect, but their dads struck the balance between being loving and gracious and kind and generous, but also they would say to me, I really feared my father in a healthy sense because I knew that I had to respect him or there would be firm discipline. Well, it's the same with God. God wants us to love him and cherish him. He wants us to talk to him, share our struggles, but there needs to be a reverence, a holy fear of God. And listen, if I fear God, the Bible says that I'm going to live a righteous life and I'm going to turn away from evil. Proverbs 3, 7 says this, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. I can't say that I fear God if I'm not living a righteous life. There are people in our culture today that say, oh, I fear God, but they're living ungodly lives. The Bible says you don't fear God. And that's the problem because in Romans chapter 3, verse 18, as Paul is surveying the landscape of humanity, he says this about humanity in general, there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the problem with America. That's the problem with the world. You want to know why we're in the chaos we're in? It's because people in this country do not fear God if they even believe in God. And there's a lot of people that do believe in God, but they don't make the connection that to fear God is to turn away from evil. And so if you want to walk in wisdom and you consider yourself to be a wise person, you must fear God. There's a fourth way that you and I can walk in wisdom, and that is this. Take advantage of opportunities to serve God. Take advantage of opportunities to serve God. Notice, if you will, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Paul says this to the Ephesians, pay careful attention then to how you walk. In other words, walk circumspectly. Pay attention to your daily walk for Christ. And then he says this, not as unwise people, but as wise. 
Well, you say, Paul, what does it mean to walk as a wise person? Well, he defines it in verse 16 when he says this, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Now, the word time is used two ways in the Bible. Number one, there is what is called chronos. Chronos is what we would call clock time, chronology. He's not talking here about chronos, clock time. He's not saying make the most of your day, make sure you look at the clock and you're squeezing out of time all that you can. We could use other scripture to justify that. Here, he uses another Greek word for time. It is not the worst, it's not the word chronos, clock time. It is the word kairos. Kairos means opportunity. And what he's saying is, we live in evil days, take advantage of the opportunities that God gives us to serve Him, to share our faith, and glorify the Lord. Why? Because sometimes those opportunities, they're here for a season and they dry up. And listen, if you're going to serve God, now is the time to serve God. If you're going to give, now is the time to give. If you're going to share your faith, now is the time to share your faith. If you're going to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and take a stand, now is the time to do it. Why? Because listen, we live in a blessed country. We have a lot of freedoms. There may be a day when those freedoms are dried up. That doesn't mean we still can't serve God, but it becomes more restricted. And so we got to take advantage of opportunities. Listen, many of you are able-bodied. Get involved in ministry. Find a way to serve God and to use your spiritual gifts. I read an article, and here was the, basically the title of the article. Um, the headline basically said this, planet Mars will be the brightest in the night sky on August 27th, 2020. And it went on to say this, Mars will come 34.65 million miles off earth. It said, watch the sky at 1230 AM. It will look like earth has two moons when really it's Mars next to the moon. The next time Mars, the article went on to say, may come this close will be in the year 2,287. No one alive today will ever see it again, end quote. You know what the article was saying? Take advantage of the opportunity to watch this phenomena because it's never going to happen again in your lifetime. And that's what Paul is saying in Ephesians 5, take advantage of those kairos opportunities, those kairos opportunities to serve God, to get involved. Because listen, when you and I see the days of evil that we're living in and we carp damn, we seize the day and we take advantage of those opportunities, you know what we're doing? We are walking in wisdom. On the other hand, when you are lazy spiritually, you don't want to get involved, you don't want to make Jesus the center and circumference of your life, you know what happens? You're walking like a fool. I didn't say you were a fool, but you're walking like a fool because that's what the non-believer does. There's a fifth way the Bible says you and I can walk in wisdom, and that is this, and here's where we pick up in the book of James. We need to ask God for wisdom in prayer. James 1.5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, the context there is James was talking about trials, and he's saying when you're going through the difficulties of life, you need to ask God for wisdom. What does that mean? It means to ask God for insight on how to respond to the difficulties of life. You're saying, God, show me how to live out my faith in the midst of this storm. And listen, it's not just the storms of life. Sometimes we need God's wisdom because we're making major decisions in our life. 
And you and I know life is not always black and white. If you have teenagers, you understand this. Sometimes you have to make decisions that are not black and white. There's gray. And so you say, God, give me wisdom. I shared with you a number of months ago when we went through that travesty with our daughter and her drug use. I remember when I sent her to rehab in Dallas, I was in Columbia, South Carolina visiting. We, had lived, we were living in New Jersey. I went to visit Columbia, South Carolina. My daughter was in Dallas, Texas. She was going through rehab. And I remember I went back to my hotel in Columbia, South Carolina, and the phone rang, my cell phone, and it said Dallas, Texas. And I thought, this is strange because my daughter's not allowed to call me during this time. And I said, uh, so I I answered the phone, and I said, Ashley, what are you doing calling me? I said, you're not allowed to use the phone there. She said, said, "I, I left. I'm on the street. I said, what? She said, yeah, I left. God told me to leave. I said, he didn't tell you to leave. She said, well, I'm lost in Dallas, and I don't, I'm scared, and I don't know where to go. And I said, well, how far are you from the facility? She said, I, I think it's nearby, but I don't know where it is. So I said, I said, whose phone are you using? And she said, some guy over here. I borrowed a phone. I said, put him on the phone. And so I asked the gentleman, where, where is the location here? I called the facility. It took me 20 minutes to break through the facility to get them. They said, oh, yeah, she's missing. I said, well, can you go get her? So long story short, I told Ashley, I said, look, go back to the facility. When you get there, call me. And so I waited 30 minutes. And then the phone rang. I picked it up and it clicked off. And I went, you got to be kidding me. Now, during that intervening time, 30 minutes, guess what I was doing? I was on my face before God because I'm in Columbia, South Carolina. She's in Dallas, Texas. I don't know if she's going to get taken or not. I don't know what's going on. I was on my face begging God for wisdom, begging God for strength. You see, there are those situations in life where we're on our face before God. We need to pray for wisdom and ask God to give it to us. Well, there's a sixth way that you and I can walk in wisdom, and this one is where we pick up in the text that we're in for this morning, beginning in verse 13, and that is this. If you and I are going to walk in wisdom, we must cultivate righteous attitudes and deeds. Righteous attitudes and deeds. Notice, if you will, verse 13 of James 3. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? James is saying, you consider yourself to be a wise person, a person of understanding. Let's test it. And here, he's going to give us the definition of a wise and understanding person. He should show his works. Here it is, by good conduct. If you say you're wise, you're going to demonstrate it by your conduct. You're going to demonstrate it by your life. And then he goes on to say, you're going to demonstrate it with wisdom's gentleness. And so conduct would refer to your behavior, gentleness would refer to your attitude. And so if you want to be a wise person, James says here in verse 13, you need to cultivate righteous behavior and righteous attitudes. It's not what we say that makes us wise. We can boast all day that we're wise individuals. James says, you demonstrate it by the way you live your life. Now, why would he say this to these Christians? Because many of them were fighting with one another. Many of them were engaging in arguments. Selfish ambition, jealousy, selfishness. There was a lot of rancor and discord going on in the congregations, not unlike congregations today. And James is saying, wait a minute, guys. You claim to be wise? Demonstrate it by your deeds and by your attitudes. 
And by the way, the word gentleness here means it refers to somebody who's humble, somebody who's teachable, somebody who's winsome, somebody who's forgiving. He goes on further to give us more of these positive attitudes. And notice, if you will, in verse 17, and many of these characteristics are relational things that we need to cultivate. Why? Because this is what they were dealing with. They were fighting with one another. So James says, look, if you're a wise person, verse 17, he says this, but the wisdom from above, this would be heavenly wisdom from God, is first of all pure. If you're a wise person, you're going to cultivate purity in your life. Not perfectly, but you're going to cultivate that in your life. Then you are peace-loving. What does that mean? It means you're a peacemaker. It doesn't mean you never have conflict, but it means you're not constantly sowing seeds of discord in your marriage, your family, in the church. It says you are gentle. What does that mean? It means that you are forgiving, you are loving, you don't attack people, you forgive people, you are compliant, you're full of mercy towards people. See, these are all relational attitudes and actions. He says you're filled with good fruit, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And then he says this, you are without favoritism. In other words, you don't play favorites. You treat people equally. He says, and you're also without hypocrisy. You don't pretend to be something that you're not. And then he ends in verse 18 by saying this, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. In other words, you're a peacemaker in relationships. See, all these characteristics you and I have to cultivate in our life. And listen, it's not that we're not going to cultivate them perfectly, but it means that as we're in the Word of God, as we're dealing with sin in our life, we're going to manifest these kinds of behaviors and attitudes in our life. I read an article recently and it caught my attention because it said this, Kim Kardashian prays daily with her kids. I thought, interesting. Let me read this article. Here is what Kim Kardashian said, and you'll see the quotes up on the screen. I make conversations with God a top priority in my life, and I have taught my children the value of talking to God. You say, huh? Maintaining time to connect with God is necessary, and there is something always to pray for. I believe in God, love, and faith. You say, huh? She said, we are Christian, and our work ethic and discipline come from so many years at Catholic school. And then she ends by saying this, I have matured over the years. It's not about my satisfaction anymore, but trying to help others, end quote. Now, I'm not here to bust on Kim Kardashian. I hope and pray that she does have a genuine relationship with God. I know she grew up in the church, her and her sisters, and you know what? Her dad, Bruce Jenner is what I'll call him. He used to sit on the front row of the church all the time. She grew up in Miami, where I grew up. I'm not here to bust on Kim Kardashian, but like many of you, my first thought was, well, wait a minute, if you're walking with God, if you're a wise person, you're not going to be living the way you're living. You're not going to be dressing the way you're dressing. Not that you're perfect, but you're going to see a pattern of righteous deeds and righteous attitudes. 
And a lot of times you don't see that in the Kardashian family. Only God knows her heart. But listen, a wise person cultivates righteous deeds and righteous attitudes. Well, there's one final way that you and I can walk in wisdom, and that is this. Reject sinful attitudes and deeds. Reject sinful attitudes and deeds. Now he's going to contrast God's heavenly wisdom with worldly wisdom. And here's what he says to the people whom he's writing to. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag and deny the truth. In other words, admit it. This is what was going on with the church. Many of them were bitter. Many of them were selfish. And they were fighting with one another. And James says, look, don't deny it. You need to admit it. Stop boasting about it. And then he says this in verse 15, such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly. In other words, it's from the world. It's unspiritual. It's from the flesh. And it's demonic. In other words, he says, whenever you have sinful attitudes in a church, in a business, in a family, and those attitudes run amok, he says, that's from the world, the flesh, and the devil. It does not come from God. The other ones were heavenly wisdom. This is earthly wisdom. And he says in verse 16, for where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil practice. You know what the word in the Greek means? Disorder? Instability. We want to know why Washington is the way it is? You want to know why our government is the way it is? Because you have selfish ambition, you have bitter rivalry, bitter envy, you have pride, you have greed, and when you have those characteristics running amok in a society, you're going to see instability. And so he says to them, look guys, this is, this is from the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is not of God. And so a wise person has to constantly pull those weeds out of his heart. Like you, I got to constantly guard my heart. Why? Because out of it are the issues of life. And so listen, these weeds of bitter envy, jealousy, pride, greed, lust, they grow up in my heart all the time. And you know what? I got to pull out my spiritual roundup and I got to spray them all the time. And I got to get into the word of God to cultivate the righteous attitudes. I was reading a guy on Facebook. He made a post and he said this as I close. It's about a lot of the singers and celebrities in Hollywood and around the world. He said this, quote, I know all these celebrities say they love Jesus, but why don't we see anything different about them and the way they live their lives? Why don't we see their actions and their lyrics different than the world? I have heard many of them claim to be believers, but where is their fruit? I'm not judging, but just bringing it up as a topic to discuss what, is truly, what it truly means to be a follower of Messiah. It's not just giving time and money to charity, but it's turning away from sin and asking for forgiveness. End quote. You know what he's saying? A lot of people say they're saved, but they live a certain way. And that's what James is saying. You got to cultivate righteous attitudes and deeds, 
but you also have to reject negative behavior and cultivate the positive behavior. That's what it means to walk in wisdom. And so how do we walk in wisdom for this morning? Seven ways. Number one, you got to get saved. You got to become a Christian. Number two, you got to pursue wisdom, make it your priority. Number three, you got to fear God. Number four, you got to take advantage of opportunities to serve God. Number five, ask God for wisdom in prayer. Number six, cultivate righteous attitudes and deeds. And number seven, reject sinful attitudes and deeds. So let me ask you a question like James asked this morning. How many of you consider yourself to be wise and understanding? Ultimately, It's not what I say, it's not what Mike Nimmer says, it's how I live my life. Because wisdom is being skilled at godly living. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for reminding us of what it means to be a wise person. Father, we need your wisdom. And it's not just a matter of praying about it, it's also living out our faith. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to be skilled at godly living. Thank you, Father, that your mercies are new every morning when we fail to live wisely. I thank you, Father, that you are forgiving to us. And even when we fail and we make bad decisions, thank you, Father, that we can learn, that we can grow. I pray that you would continue to help us to be wise for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.